0: All right, um, if you're able, why don't you stand and we'll give our attention to Revelation chapter 21. Bound for the promised land. Why have people sung that for years and years and years? Because we need a vision of tomorrow that gives us strength for today. Uh, We need bright hope for um, tomorrow. There's a place we're going, there's a place we're uh, heading, and it energizes us as we deal with life um, here. So we read from Revelation chapter 21, just the first six verses. Then I saw a new heaven... And death shall be no more, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain. All these things passed away. And he who was seated on the throne says, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Oh, my, oh, my. Uh, this is the word of God. You may be seated, please. Do you have a future you're excited about? Do you have a future, a vision of the future that uh, that energizes you, that sustains you? Um, are you certain that your tomorrow is stunningly beautiful? Um... Listen, that's not true in our culture. In our culture, uh, sociologists would say there is unprecedented pessimism. People not only feel that things are bad, but they feel that they're getting worse, and it's not just a little trough we're in. Um, it's, a, it's a downward trend. People feel in our country that America um, uh, is not what it once was and it never will be again. Uh, that our culture is in um, decline. For the first time in American history, parents feel that the world that they're bequeathing to their children and their grandchildren is worse and holds less promise than the wor- world that was handed um, to them. And so we live in a world, it's not hard to understand, is it, this sense of, of pessimism? We, we, we live in a world racked with a radical uh, militant um, terrorism, right? We live in a in a in a nation where we um, are almost now callous to mass shootings. This summer, I'm going to be in Austin, Texas, and I'm going to go to the site where on August 1st um, in 1966, Charles Whitman opened fire from the tower at the University of Texas. Uh, he shot 39 people. Um, I know the name. That was 50 years ago. I know the name Charles Whitman. I defy you to tell me the name of the last mass shooter in America, or the one before that, or the one before that, or the one before that, or the one before that. You used to know all their names uh, because they was such an outrageous, horrific crime. Now uh, we can't remember their names three days later uh, because it's so commonplace in our culture. We live uh, uh, in a culture that w- we feel like has lost its um, uh, moral uh, bearings I mean, the, the, the absolute lunacy of, uh, of these gender identity issues that we're faced with um, uh, as a culture just make you shake um, your head. Um, although I got used tonight. I, I came when I had to use the restroom, and there were just guys there, but the w- woman's restroom was open. So one of the guys said, well, just go in there. I said, you think that's cool? I said, yeah, go in there. I came out, all the guys are gone. There's girls standing there. <laughs> Felt like I was a target, you know? <laughs> so, listen, the loss of hope in our culture, um, the absence of a worthy national leadership, um, the sense that uh, the, the, the political polarization that, that, uh, that, that prevents any um, collective uh, effort uh, to, uh, to deal with our problems, uh, a skyrocketing national debt, and a, an anemic national economy which uh, only uh, thrives because the world's economies are so much worse, um, even. The sense that we're sitting on a, a bubble and the, the future is, uh, is going to be very difficult. And then you add in the restoked racial tension uh, that we're dealing with uh, as a nation. Um, we live in a world that appears to be... Uh, do you know that the suicide rate has never been higher in our country than it is now? The despair. There is not a sense that tomorrow is better. The tomorrow is, uh, is beautiful, and we can't live without hope. Literally, we cannot live without hope. Viktor Frankl was an Austrian uh, psychologist who survived the Nazi um, death camps. And so he made it uh, his life's work afterwards to try to figure out why was it that some people endured that living hell uh, and survived, and others who seemingly were strong uh, and resilient just collapsed. Uh, shriveled and died. Almost uh, their, their their resistance just um, uh, just uh, just evaporated almost overnight. He says, "Was it was it the young that survived while the old just didn't have the ability? Was it the was it people who had sort of a optimistic, sunny disposition? They were the ones who who were able to to make it." Uh, and you know what, Fr- uh, Frankel said, people had put all their hopes in their careers or in the happiness of their families. They would lose hope. They would shrivel up and die. I mean, after all, if your life was your career, your money, your success, you didn't have anything. And if your life was your family, they were all dead. Those people who are counting, that was their life. They couldn't make it. But the ones who had a spiritually infinite reference point, the ones who believed there was life beyond the grave, were the rare souls who were able to retain their buoyancy, even in the most miserable conditions. I think of the the woman who, who, the the who, uh, a man who said his wife died in the death camp, but he made it all the way through. You know why? Because he knew she was in heaven, looking down on him, and he wanted to live in such a way that she would be proud of him. The existence of life beyond the grave. We can't thrive without hope. We can't even survive uh, without hope. There's a CNN um, talk show host for many years named Larry King. Now he's, he's old, and um, he um, um, is talking a lot about death, his wife says, and he's taking human growth hormones. He's doing everything he can to try to you know, hang on. And uh, you know what Larry King said, when he uh, dies, he's going the cryogenic route. He's going to be frozen. Um, so that, you know, then supposedly if they discover a cure for whatever ultimately takes his life, he can be thawed out and, uh, then they can apply that cure and on his life will go. He said, anybody who believes this stuff, cryogenics is nuts. They're certifiably nuts. He said, but I'm going to do it anyway. At least I'll have hope. That's it. Put your hope in the freezer, right? That's your (laughs) eternal hope. The Christians have always had hope. Do you know what Elie Wiesel said? In the death camps, he marveled at the Christians because the Christians walked to the gas chamber, he said, singing hymns as they went. They were unafraid. Christians have always had hope. Why? Uh, Because um, we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Wouldn't it be awesome if somebody would just go to the other side, and come back and and tell us about that future? I mean, I'm not talking about Todd Burpo and uh, heaven is real. I mean, if you want to make a million bucks, just write a book about dying and going to heaven and coming back. They'll make movies. They'll make the Todd Burpo Study Bible. You know. And uh, now, what if what if somebody really went there, came back? and uh, gave us a picture. Well, here we have it. It's in Revelation chapter 21. Here's a picture. You want a picture of what it is? Uh, God's given us a picture that will give us a bright hope for a beautiful tomorrow. You know who it was written to? It was written to real people, just like um, you guys. Only these people were dying. They were suffering under the emperor Domitian. They were being um, impaled on stakes, covered with pitch, and lit on fire because they would not practice emperor worship. They were being um, crucified, uh, literally by the thousands. Rome had overrun Jerusalem. They said, you want to be like uh, Jesus? Fine, we'll nail you to a cross too. The roads out of Jerusalem were covered with crosses um, of Christians. This is who this passage um, is written to. They were being thrown to the lions. So to live today, we need a bright vision of a beautiful tomorrow. So you with me? Here's number one. What's the, what do we get from this bright vision is that we get a new home. We will have a new home. Our beautiful tomorrow includes a new home. The Apostle John writes, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Now here's the big surprise in this passage. If you ask almost any churchgoer, um, where is your ultimate home, what will they say? When I die, I will go to heaven. But we read in Revelation chapter 21 that that's not the case. Our ultimate destination is what? It's the earth. We will live forever on the earth because what we read in Revelation chapter 21 is not Christians exiting to go uh, to heaven, but heaven coming down to the earth so that there's no distinction any longer. There's no separation between heaven and earth. There's a new heaven uh, and a new earth. It's new. Everything is made new. Behold, I make all things um, new the resurrection of the body of Jesus. Notice when the resurrection of Jesus doesn't just mean he was dead and now he's alive, it means his body was lifeless. And now his body is resurrected because our God loves the physical. He made the world. He doesn't intend to just give us eternal souls, but eternal bodies. He, uh, That's why Christians think that eating is good and tobacco in its right place is good and the fruit of the vine is good and sex is good because God made these things, the physical world, and they're beautiful and they're good. And so God intends a complete and comprehensive restoration. Notice in this passage, it says, and the sea was no more. You're like, shoot, that's like my favorite part. You know, going to summer conference, going to the beach, I mean, lobster rolls, you know, stone crab claws. What? The sea is no uh, more. Um, well, to the, in, the, in the Israelite mindset, remember, they were, they weren't, uh, they were land people. Uh, they didn't want anything to do with water any more than the, the Sea of Galilee. They didn't like the Mediterranean Sea. Those were the Phoenicians. Those were other... Uh, the Mediterranean Sea was a cauldron of, of wild, a tempest. And to them, that's where the evil... Um, dwelled in the, in the sea. So this is the equivalent of telling your kid, if you were describing to your little child about what the, the our eternal home would be like, you'd say, you know, when we get to the new heavens and the new earth, under your bed, there will be what? There'll be no monsters under your bed. So there, there'll be no sea, there'll be nothing that is not completely under the rule and reign of, uh, of God. You with me, you following? Uh, this is, God is the ultimate, um, fixer upper. Thank you. Yes. Jojo and Chip will be in the new heavens and the new earth. Take a deep breath. It's okay. Um, our future is not riding on fluffy clouds with little, uh, cherubic corpulent angels and older sage-like slow moving angels like Gandalf, all bathed in sleep inducing harp music. Our future home is on earth, and there will be manatees and ospreys and redfish and scallops. Uh, And we will work and we will run and we will dance and we will kiss. And we'll eat um, corn on the cob and garlic bread and we'll drink Argentinian Malbec and cafe con leche. (laughs) Hallelujah. Uh. (laughs) And there will be no sex trafficking and there'll be no strip clubs and there'll be no airport bombings. There'll be no custody battles, no foster children. There'll be no hate and no arguing, and, 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 and no nutcases going into churches in Charleston, South Carolina, and wreaking havoc there, and no hunger, and there'll be no elections. Mm. <laughs> think of the most beautiful place you've ever been. The most beautiful place you've ever been. When I think of that, I think of the north of Scotland most hauntingly beautiful place I think I've ever been. Listen, if you get it in your mind, you're not even close. You're not even close. You've got to have a picture of the future, of a bright tomorrow, because this is not ultimately life as it is. Listen, think of the African-American experience. Think of being taken from your homeland. Think of packed into boats like cargo. Have you actually seen what a slave ship was like? Have you actually seen how they made the passage? Um, Like, like have you ever opened a can of sardines? That's what it looked like in the hold of that ship. Ima- imagine being dumped onto the shore. Imagine the degradation of, of that life, generation upon generation. So out of their music came this deep longing. What? Swing low. Sweet chariot. Coming for to what? Carry me home. A band of angels is coming after me. Coming for to carry me home. I got a bright future. That allows me to sustain my life in this. I got shoes. You got shoes. All of God's chilling got shoes. And when I get to heaven, going to put on my shoes and going to walk all over God's heaven. Deep river, right? Got to cross over into campground. Um, we got to have a picture. And, and, and let me just say this now, that picture of the future informs the way we live today. Those captured by this vision are those who live redemptively in the world. Our prayer is, God thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Where? On earth. On earth. earth. Not in heaven. On earth. Because this is our home. This is our home forever. God come and make it new. That's why Jennifer and Stephen Lamanda in our church, they were just converted a couple years ago. When I interviewed them to join the church, I asked Stephen, tell me about your family growing up. He said, I was raised, I come from the state. That's what he said. I come from the state. I said, what? He said, I come from the state. I said, what does that mean? He said, I didn't have a family. I said, you mean you were raised in an orphanage? He said, well, not really. I ran away. He went from foster home to foster home to foster home. When he was 10 or 11 years old, he ran away. And uh, he lived uh, on park benches, and steam grates, and, and riding mass transit, and then after a year of using false names, a friend of his told him, you don't have to hide. Nobody's looking for you. He raised himself. He never had a family. He never had a birthday party. He never had, uh, he never had a mom. He never had a dad. I, mean, had, I, I took him to a football game this year. I didn't have any idea what's going on. Never played on a sports team. Never been to any athletic. I mean, he and his wife have three children of their own. They have seven foster children. Because the mantra of their life is on earth as it is in heaven, and in heaven no kid goes through what he went through as a child. In heaven. And, and the new heavens and the new earth, every child has a place to lay their head at night that's safe and warm and they're well fed. And they're not wasting their time waiting for that right now. You got it? My daughter and son-in-law moved into the worst neighborhood in Orlando. It's called Paramore Avenue. Three doors down from the church there, starting in the storefront, um, four people got shot uh, about two months ago. Three blocks away from where they live, six people got shot about three weeks ago. Um, The other day, my daughter Kristen had to call her husband in from outside. He's grilling us and said, Eric, would you please come in? There's too much gunfire out there. It's the worst gang, drug, blighted uh, uh, neighborhood. Why would anybody move there? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Because they know that one day they'll walk Paramore Avenue and it will be the most beautiful spot. It will be the Garden of Eden again. That's the vision. You got it? So, um, there it is. A beautiful tomorrow is a new home, and we'll finish with this. Going to cut this uh, short, get you to dinner because that is part of the beautiful today. Um, <laughs> a, a beautiful tomorrow is uh, is a uh, a new love. The beautiful tomorrow is not just a new home, but it's somebody to share it with. It's a new love. The Bible's a love story. The problem is in the opening chapters we we screw up the story. We divorce our first love. We divorce the God who made us. We go on our own way, and, and it's created a tremendous emptiness, a tremendous thirst, a tremendous longing, so that there is indeed a God shaped vacuum, uh, a, a horrendous hole in every soul. And we try to fill that uh, emptiness, don't we? Desperately, I uh, try to fill that thirst. Think of what we do to try. We try to fill that thirst with money uh, in our culture, stuff. If they could only have enough stuff. You know, I might ask, how do you think that's working out for us? Think of the Powerball. Remember that this last year? The Powerball thing went to almost a billion dollars. Now, if they're giving away prizes of a billion, how much, how, many, how much money have they actually collected? The desperate people that would, that would give the government a billion dollars, a billion and a half, two billion dollars, I don't know what they contributed, all oh, for the chance talk about thirsty and the desperate thirst do you know where the wealthiest people have ever lived on the planet and we consume more antidepressants than any country ever it's not even close we try to fill you know, we try to fill the thirst of anything with relationships uh, as a pastor I tell you nothing makes you sadder than to see people make horrendous relationship decisions and why do they do it? because they're so dang thirsty. When you're thirsty, you don't think right. It's like they say, don't go grocery shopping when you're hungry, right? You ever go grocery shopping when you're hungry? You know, it's just you and another person living together, and you come home with $300 worth of groceries, and it's all like ding-dongs, and, and you, know, you just go, you sweep the aisle right down into your cart. You get Doritos, you get Cheetos, you get Fritos. If it ends with an O, you get it. And... Uh, um, you you get ice cream and cartons of ice cream and you, you get Dorito ice cream. I don't know, it's a new flavor. I got to try it. Um, you make horrible decisions because you're so hungry. Well so people! Let's tell you, you can't make good. You cannot make good relational decisions if you are desperately thirsty. You will you will only create more thirst in your life than you had um, before. Listen, we try to fill the, the, the deep thirst with career and with success, academics, athletics. Um, look at, look at uh, millennials. Millennials, have you, have you met any? They are, they are frozen. Counselor after counselor will tell you they cannot make life decisions. Who to date, who to marry. They can't pull the trigger on getting engaged and getting married, on, uh, on graduate schools, on careers, on where to live, because if you're thirsty, you're counting on all those things to satisfy you. So it's not just a matter of where am I going to work and where am I going to live. It's am I going to have life or not? And so you're frozen. Gosh, you know, so, so I'm sure many of you have heard of somebody named Johnny Manziel, right? Um, Johnny Football. Johnny Football. I mean, charismatic, talented, Heisman Trophy winner as a freshman, multi-million dollar professional athlete, and he is absolutely imploding his entire life. He's indicted now for beating his girlfriend. He, uh, no NFL uh, team will touch him. He's toxic. His own father said, I don't think he'll see his next birthday. And you can look at him, I think of Johnny Manziel. Is he just an idiot? No. He's thirsty he's so desperately thirsty, he is making a wreck out of his life. But here we have it in Revelation chapter 21, this picture. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. To be completely known and completely loved, to have God's affection is the balm our heart's Crave. This reconciliation, this intimacy with God is what makes heaven heavenly. It's to get God back. It's to get our first love back. Frederick Buchner tells a story of walking down a, um, a juvenile detention facility in Indiana. He said the guards told him uh, of a particular teenager in there who killed his father. So he's incarcerated and the guard said every night he cries himself to sleep and if you stop at the door and listen as he's crying, he's, he's crying for his daddy every night. The very dad he killed is the dad his soul desperately longs for. Oh, this healing. This healing of, of, uh, of receiving the love that we crave. I heard of this couple recently They have three children. They decide they're going to adopt a child in Uganda. All the arrangements are made. They got the child lined up. It's a done deal. They've they've even been over there. They visited the child and a little girl that can't wait. She's a part of their family. Then the Ugandan government decides you have to be in residence there two years before you can leave the country with the child. What? Two years. What are they going to do? They Are they going to pull their kids out of school? Are they going to move there for two years? The man had a dream job. He's got to give it up and go there for two years. They're going to do that? So they met together as a family. You know what they suddenly realized? If that was one of our natural born children and they were stuck in Uganda and somebody said you had to spend two years, you think we'd even hesitate? If they said you've got to come here for 20 years to have your child back, we'd go there for 20 years without a moment's hesitation. You know what the story of the Bible is? You're stuck in this hell hole. But Jesus, but God would not go forward without you, back in His family. And so Jesus came and took residence here until He could secure you, and He could bring you home. So you know, I just want to finish with that. Who gets in on this beautiful tomorrow? The good? The virtuous, the moral. Um, is that what it says in this passage? What did it say in verse 6 of chapter 21? It said, To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. That's all you got to have. You got to have thirst. You've got to recognize that you're thirsty and run home to Jesus. C.S. Lewis um, uh, has a quote that um, I love. The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to reach the mountain, to find the place where all the beauty came from. I got to find the place where all the beauty came from. Listen, um, um you know, I just read an article in GQ magazine. It was fascinating. A woman, a Jewish reporter, atheist reporter, um, embedded herself in the Hillsong Church in New York City because it's making such a splash in New York City that uh, the, 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 they wanted to know, what, what, what's the deal with this church? Why are so many cynical, hardened New Yorkers going to Hillsong? And so she went to worship there as a part of writing the article for six or eight weeks. And she met with the pastor and she met with people who were there and she got all that information and then she um, wrote um, uh, the article and then the article was you know submitted to print. And so the day came in which it was a Sunday and for the first time in two months she wasn't going to church. She's Jewish, she's atheist, she didn't go to church, so that job's over. She was sitting at her kitchen sink. This is what it said. I went to soccer games with my children that Sunday. I ordered a pizza. I was cleaning the kitchen. At the end of the day, I was putting dinner plates in the dishwasher and as I did, I hummed the church's music to myself. And then I straightened up suddenly and I looked out the window into the dark nothing and I realized I missed it very much. I just want to say a word before we go to dinner tonight. If you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, You might be a member of a church, but if you've never experienced, um, if you you never really have your life rocked by the Lord Jesus Christ, or maybe you came on this retreat and and you know that's a decision you haven't made yet, or maybe you're watching uh, a video of this, I just want you to invite you to go home. Go home because the thirst that you have, it can't be satisfied uh, anywhere else. And uh, deep in your heart, Deep in your heart, you know that you miss him. Deep in your heart, you know that he is the mountain from which all the beauty has come from. And my prayer for you, even as I'm saying these words, is that one day you'll be able to say, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Because when you do, You, my friend, will have, indeed, a beautiful tomorrow.